Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the first episode of the Weekend Ball Podcast, your podcast for all things Canada basketball as we lead up to the FIBA World Cup later this month. Uh, Scott and I, who are on this podcast, will be there. Um, Jonathan Chen, obviously, uh, kind of the amazing writer for Raptors Republic, covering everything Canada basketball is on this podcast as well. And then we're also alongside Maddie Ireland, the host of the Canada Hoops podcast, which is an amazing podcast that everyone should uh, check out. So I've kind of assembled the the dream team of Canadian hoops heads for this podcast. So uh, especially just for the inaugural and the first one. So thanks, guys, for coming on. I really appreciate it. And uh, this should be a pretty exciting uh, couple of weeks. Um, I want to first kind of get into it, um, just with regards to this might be the, the most talented team Canada's ever assembled. What, what do you guys think? Like, is this the best team and, and how excited should fans be for this team? I'll jump in, I guess, off the bat. Um, I, I, I do think this is the best team Canada's ever assembled. I, I don't think it's really questionable, um, really the. The only one that's in comparison is the is the 2021 um, Victoria Olympic qualifier team. Um, you know, there I think you're you're taking out prob- most importantly you're probably taking out Andrew Wiggins and Trey Lyles. Here you're adding Shea Gilgis Alexander, Kelly Olenek, um, some other pieces. But I, I'm under the huge belief that uh, Kelly Olenek's one of our our best FIBA players. You know, top top three four players. Um, Shea is probably our best. So you add those guys in there and the surrounding talent. I think this is um, easily the most talented team Canada's ever assembled. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, yeah, I think just looking at like the NBA players on the roster or like on the, the ex- exhibition roster, it's around what seven NBA players. And, you know, when you go down the list, and it's not like, the the Michael Mulder NBA <laughs> talent type of players, which you know, um, you know, he's still kind of in the G League and trying to make it uh, happen. But it's like legitimate rotational NBA players, um, basically all across the board. And so, yeah, I think I, I would definitely agree with Scott that it's definitely one of, if not the most talented team. And I know a lot of people are, are disappointed um, with some of the dropouts. Um, but yeah, like I think. I think I think when we watched the the qualifiers last summer with the summer core, um, you know, just seeing a couple of glimpses of the, the SGA and Kelly Olynyk core, which is what I've been kind of dubbing it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm totally on board, and I think it's a it's a really talented team for sure. Yeah, and yeah. so just you want to you can jump in, Maddie, if you want. No, I just think it's. You know, like there was there was talk of that in 2015, uh, the Olympic qualifier. Like that was at that time the best team ever assembled. Uh, players that you talked to, I remember Robert Zachary telling me that. Um, and then you know they had a tough situation there. And then uh, two summers ago with uh, the Victoria, like Scott said, and now and now we add SGA, our best player, and he's leading the way. 
and that says a lot. And the the duo of him and Kelly is is what we need. It is very special. Um, outstanding FIBA player uh, that that Kelly is. Um, yeah, and and I know like the Jamal thing not being available now uh, that would have bumped the team even higher. But this is still a really good team. Uh, we've heard people mention you know just as uh, a lethal group uh, potentially. They seem to be improving with every game together. Uh, yeah, no question, the best team ever for the the senior men's national team for Canada basketball. And and with that, like, why, like, for people that don't know about kind of international basketball or just coming to this because Shea is on the team or they see RJ or they love Dylan Brooks's antics, like, why <laughs> should people care about the FIBA World Cup? And obviously, it has implications for the Olympics. So maybe. I, I know Scott's very passionate about why the FIBA World Cups are really an, an important deal and, and bigger than the Olympics, but just give us a little bit of why it's so important and what what kind of comes out of this tournament as well. Yeah. I, I know this is tough to convince North Americans, but I think it's a better tournament than the Olympics. Um it's just it's just everybody's here. Um now in terms of nations, it's it's 32 teams, it's most of the best teams in in the world, almost all top twenty ranked FIBA teams. There's a few missing, like like Russia and Poland and, and Argentina. But the Olympics, you kind of just have twelve teams. You're usually missing a handful of teams in the top five or six in the world. It's a very brief tournament. Um, it's it's just I know that all the eyes are on that. Um, you tend to get you know a bigger turnout from um, uh, Team USA stars. Um, but the World Cup usually has, um, you know, a good complement of, of NBA stars. Uh, we've, we've, we've seen a few fall off this year, but it's a grind. This is a hard thing to, to win. Um, multiple rounds, uh, you're going to face a lot of good teams. Um, and I just think it's a, it's a tougher test on, on any national team. And kind of like with that, like, just like let's lay out a little bit about the Olympic qualifying because I know a lot of people do care, even though they might, even though it goes against you a bit, Scott. But like, I mean, I can just outline a little bit of how the Olympics work and and or how, sorry, how uh, the FIBA World Cup acts as a qualifier for the Olympics for Canada. So just so people that don't know is that the top two teams from the Americas in this tournament that basically being every team from North and South America, so like Dominican, Puerto Rico. Brazil, Canada, USA, the top two teams at the end of this tournament, like ranking. So if Canada comes 10th and the U.S. comes second and no team from the Dominican and the rest of them is uh, better than 10th, then Canada makes the Olympics, right? So they don't need to medal. They don't need to even make the quarterfinals, although that would probably help their their cause. Um, and so they're in a group with France, Lebanon, and uh, Latvia. So obviously France won the silver medal in uh, Tokyo. They have a lot of good players, so that'll be a tough game. Latvia, it doesn't have Porzingis, but they're still a good European team. So it's going to be tough. And then uh, in the second round, if they are to make it, uh, they'd probably play Spain, who they just played today and and beat. But that was by no means an easy win. Um, And there's a crossover group, which is a bit confusing, and we maybe get to it a bit later. But uh, if Canada were to be top two in their original group in Group H, they go into um, a, another group, basically with the two winners from Group G, which is probably Spain, maybe Brazil um, as well. And then those Canada would play, for example, Spain and uh, 
in Brazil. And then um, if they were to be top two out of those remaining teams, probably France as well from their own group, then uh, they'd make the quarterfinals. So yeah, just to make the quarters is a bit confusing, but uh, there you go. And um, yeah, if Canada goes deep in this tournament, other than probably the US, they have you know, the best team at this tournament. But uh, maybe someone can talk about why the draw isn't as favorable for, for Canada as it could be. Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on that quickly. Um, but uh, I think we we saw the draw unfolding from a mile away when Canada was chosen to to be hosted by, by Jakarta. Each, um, each host country, um, Indonesia, Japan, Manila, was able to select a, a team to kind of host. And that just kind of set things in motion for Canada to get a pretty tough draw. Um, ended up um, pretty close to as tough as, 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 it, as it could have been. Um, we were going to get um, Spain or, or Australia in that other pool. Um, we ended up with Spain. We were going to get somebody like France or, or Serbia in, in our uh, first pool. We ended up with France. Um, and the big problem here is, is, you know, Spain's number one ranked team in the world. France is, is number three. Um, very, very highly likely we're going to have to beat one of those teams just to make it to the quarterfinals um, and to throw another fly in the ointment. Um, Latvia is, is in our first round pool um, and is probably one of the more underranked teams in, in this tournament. Um, they went 11 and 1 through, through qualifying, um, beating Greece, Serbia, Turkey. Um, they have a good team um, and they live and die by the three. So they certainly have a, a puncher's uh, chance against against Canada. So tough draw, but um, this team, uh, I think, can do it. And I just want to ask kind of Maddie and, and Jonathan, like, what do you make? Because it's topical. And I, I know we this will be the last time we talk about people that aren't playing for Canada at this tournament. But Jamal Murray did kind of drop out of of, of the team in the past couple of days, Maddie or Jonathan, like what do you make of that? And, and how kind of like, how likely do you think you'll ever play for Canada if they are to make the Olympics? Like what do you just make of the whole situation? I think, you know, I think Scott and I talked about this real quick on uh, uh, an episode we had, but it, it looked good that he was going to do it even just, you know, because they did win in Denver. I thought, as Scott had mentioned that, that this was going to be something positive for, for his chances, um, maybe feeling good energy. But um, I think should we qualify for the Olympics uh, just because the the, uh, the hype with that type of tournament uh, and the games, I think we could see Jamal there next season, right? So he shows up to camp. You were there, uh, mm-hmm. Alex. Um, you were getting a feel for things, you know, discussion of he's not sure what he's going to do. And then um, – just by not him making the trip to Germany initially, I mean, I, I felt like it wasn't going to happen. Uh, and then there was optimism that he might play in Spain. Uh, I think he does want to play. I think he was just being smart. Um, there was a lot of medical uh, advice from the Nuggets on this as well, uh, along with Canada basketball. And Canada basketball wants to do right by Jamal as well. Um so not really surprised, um, you know, with respect to what you mentioned about not really talking about players that aren't here. Uh, I think most of us have tried to focus more on the group that is and celebrate them. And like we've said, it's a really good team. Um, but I, I think Jamal is bought in on the program. Uh, and you can, might be able to allude to this. It, it seemed like he enjoyed being around the guys in Toronto. Uh, I wouldn't lose hope on him. I'd feel better about Jamal playing 
next summer as opposed to some other guys. Um, that's, that's, that's where I'll leave that for now. Well, well, I have a funny little nugget from, from uh training camp a couple of weeks ago is because Jamal was scheduled to come to, or be available to the media on the Wednesday and he was shooting right in front of us. And he was the last person to, uh, come to us and um, you see him right before kind of his time to, to come on everyone else had done their media rounds he's shooting and then he just runs out of the gym and you see the communications guy run after him and then he comes back maybe like 10 minutes later and everyone there's like is he gonna even speak to the media and he was very coy with his questions I think Josh Lewinberg of TSN asked him like are you gonna play and he's like oh it's a process Right. You didn't say, yes, I'm going to be there. So um, I think once that kind of press conference happened, I felt pretty pessimistic and uh, I did a big bit of digging and I, I listened to Brian Windhorst and he I'm, I'm pretty sure Jamal Murray's up for an extension right now of three times 144. So um, if Denver is holding that as a nugget, no pun intended for Jamal um, I, I can see why uh, that might be hard for him to, to, to come. So um, that's, kind of the last on who's not here because I think uh, all of us like this team's so exciting just to have a guy like Shea Kelly RJ who's been amazing um I always love Lou Dort as well and, and the others um it's like this team should be really fun to watch and uh, as you guys said uh, it might be the best team Canada's ever put on the floor but for for people that might not know this team as well like what are some of the guys that might not be household names for Canada that uh people should be kind of excited to watch. I, th- I think Jonathan does uh, his deep dives all the time. So he's probably best to answer this. Uh, yeah, sure. I'll go first. Um, and so my player is going to be a guy that I've been pretty high on and kind of been pushing this agenda uh, on Twitter uh, the last couple of weeks. And he's actually one of the the few non-NBA players uh, on the team. And so I, I would go with uh, Kyle Alexander. And so he's um, 6'11" big uh with a i think it was a seven two wingspan i think so it's very similar measurements to jaron jackson jr um who is like an incredible defensive player probably one of the best in the nba up there and so he's not quite the defender that jaron jackson jr is um but his his main kind of draw is rim protection and mobility and agility so he can kind of play a little bit more on the perimeter and I think he just offers something that all the other bigs on Canada this summer um, are kind of lacking. Uh, when you look at, you know, a Linux who doesn't, you know, have the quickest foot speed, Powell, who's a little a little bit smaller on the smaller end and is not quite as effective at the rim. And then Edie, who is a little also a little slower, um, although he is really uh, huge and tall. Um, so, yeah, so I think. In some moments, and especially if it's like you need a one stop on a possession, um, I think Kyle Alexander is the best suited player, or sorry, suited big man on the team um, to kind of anchor Canada's defense. And we we kind of already saw it um, in the exhibition games. There, he had a couple like really nice recoveries, um, flipping his hips um, and pick and roll drop. I think there was one really impressive one um, down the stretch against Germany when he blocked Tice. Um, so yeah, I think that that would be my player um, to watch, um, especially if you're not too familiar, because I think, I think he'll play a big role on the team. 
Yeah. I, I think for me, I think, I, you know, your listeners are going to be familiar with the NBA players. So, you know, as Jonathan said, Kyle Alexander is kind of the number one non-NBA player for me, for, for people to watch. Um, I think he's, I think he's our, our kind of backup center and we'll, we'll be leaned on for, for real minutes here. Um, but so will Melvin Edgem and, and Trey Bell Haynes, I think, um, you know, we're, we're lacking with, with some of these dropouts with Corey Joseph and Kevin Pangos. We're really lacking that kind of backup ball handler and, and that's, that's Trey Bell Haynes. And, um, you know, he's, he's got some, you know, real pros and cons, cons to his game, but he's, uh, now, a, a, you know, a multi-year vet with the senior men's national team, the winter Corps. Um, they've been playing at a pretty high level in, in Europe and people should be familiar with Mel Jumet, Melvin Edgem, who's been kind of a long-term stalwart of the, the senior men's national team. Um, he's getting a little bit up there in, in age, but he's, he's kind of that good um, kind of combo power forward, small forward, jack of all trades, a little bit more defensive, do the kind of dirty work, um, hit down some open shots type of guy. But those would be the three I'd point out. Yeah, Alex, I think for me, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a Melvin fan. He's joined, he's joined me. Uh, and this is a roster now where Mel doesn't have to do too much, right? Limited minutes, but he's, he's an experienced player, a vet, come in, make a few dirty plays, make a few key plays. Um, so Melvin is a guy that may be counted on in a, in a crucial, crucial situation. Um, but because of the depth of this team and loaded up front with the NBA guys, Mel can come in and, and play a, a quick, uh, you know, positive role. No, I, I definitely agree. I think for the NBA players, the one that I think people should watch is Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I think just he hasn't really made it out in a, or kind of spread his wings in the NBA for maybe the talent-wise. He's kind of been a bit middling and up and down, and he's been on, I think, three teams now. So, um but for Canada, he's been amazing. He's a really good playmaker. He's a good shooter. He's a decent defender. He's just someone that kind of comes, like, pops out when you watch him for Canada. And he's been really good for Canada every time he's, he's suited up uh, in 21 and in last summer and, and this year so far in the friendly. So that's someone that might not you might not have heard of. And obviously, he's uh, cousins with Shea. So that's a, always a really cool uh, dynamic. And, uh, yeah, but to go to Shea, just what kind of confidence does a player like that bring to you? Like, what do you think it brings to this team? And especially like late in games, like they just have a guy who was first team all NBA. Um, and, and what have you thought of him so far, just in the friendlies uh, where he's, he's been up and down, but still obviously really good. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll jump in on this one. So I think obviously Shea's probably the most talented player to play for the national team since Steve Nash. Um, and yeah, so, you know, just having that kind of talent and also kind of creation ability on the team um, from the perimeter is something that just has been missing on national teams uh, or on our national team for years. And I think, so I, I haven't watched the Spain game yet, but I, I did rewatch the two Germany games um, and the New Zealand game was kind of a wash to me. But I think, mm-hmm. you know, if you kind of just look at the the box score, um and like his shooting efficiency, you know, you kind of look at it and you might think, oh, you might have some concerns. Um, and I think, you know, those concerns, you know, are valid because he didn't he didn't play amazing. Uh, but I think one of the underrated aspects of it was just how much defensive attention Germany was 
um, giving him. So I, I had a kind of a tweet with a couple screenshots from from the other day about it. But you know, they they were even if it was like a spread pick and roll where Canada was trying to go five out space um, as much space as possible and have just that high pick and roll at the top or at the elbow um, area. You know, Germany was bringing an extra guy, even helping off of Kelly Olynyk, who's a fantastic elite shooter. Like they didn't care. They were going to plug the gaps. They were going to bring three. They were going to show um, Shea a wall. And I think that is partly one of the reasons, obviously, why he um, struggled shooting the ball. And I think also he just missed some of the shots as well in the in the second Germany game mainly. Um, but even in those games where he's struggling, you know, that amount of defensive attention, that's going to create advantages. It opens up things for other players. It forces the team, the defense to rotate. Um, and so, you know, I know he's been at the top of these kind of advanced stats about advantage creation in the NBA for years. But I think it's like very, very obvious um, just watching these few games. And it's like a huge difference compared to the last couple of um, iterations. Yeah. I don't want to be a, a spoiler for you, Jonathan, but uh, talking about today's Spain game, um, I just got a feeling that I don't think I've had for a long time where mm. uh, it's a tie game, um, 10, 15 seconds on the clock. It's in Shea's hands. Um, you know, and he goes up against some pretty good Spanish D, um, you know, tries attempts to drive, gets, gets that shut down, kind of pivots, turns and gives himself a clean look. And I was going in this first time in a while. I'm like, yeah, it's in Shea's hands. We got this ball's going in didn't but that's the first time I think I felt that way in a long time no like for sure I was watching too and like he had a bunch of shots in the game today that were just back rim or everything felt good and you know sometimes that's just the way it goes but I, I think that is something that it brings to this team is just the level of confidence late in games like they just won these two games against Germany and Spain in overtime and he really led the charge. I mean, RJ Barrett did too. And, and RJ has been really phenomenal. I don't, I'm, I'm kind of thinking like, why hasn't he been like this for the Knicks like this consistently? Cause every game he's played well for Canada, at least so far in the friendlies, but um, just having a player like that at the end of the game, you really feel comfortable that if Canada is not blown out at the end of any of these games or like down 12, they're down four or five points with three, four minutes left. You really feel they have a chance because they have someone like that. And you look at Spain and it was harder for them to, to kind of create good offense at the end of that game um, right today. And, and look as same with Germany, especially with Schroeder out, they, it was a bit harder for them to, to create because they don't have a, a player of, of, of Shea's caliber, but for this team, like just going forward to the tournament, like what, like, what's the battle for them in terms of talent because they have obviously seven NBA players, Shea, RJ um, uh, and, and Kelly, but the fact that they just have never really played extended periods of time together. Like what is that battle between the talent versus chemistry and how can maybe in this case, the talent come on uh, the right side and, and Canada does well, uh, even though they have a bit of a uh, lack of chemistry. Yeah, sure. I think, you know, I think just looking through these first couple of exhibition games, the the starting group of Shea, RJ, Brooks, um, Kelly and Dwight Powell, aside from like that first Germany game where it was like that first time they were ever playing together. Um, you know, I think they've looked amazing. Um, you know, I'll have to dig into like the 
the plus minus numbers of that their lineup. And of course it's a small sample size, but I think those five players make up probably our most talented like lineup, if not one of the most talented. And, you know, we're seeing against these stronger teams, um, European teams, and even though they're just exhibition games, um, you know, we're seeing that they can dominate or they can, you know, open up nice leads um, and they can play, um, they can create offense with Shea and RJ as a kind of a secondary creator with Kelly as a playmaking hub. Um, you know, their defense can be a, li- a lot better with Dylan Brooks at the point of attack. Um, and so I think, I think just from the starting lineup perspective, I think Canada's talent will definitely win them a lot of um, minutes or even just games even. Um, but I think where it kind of gets a little more dicey is once you kind of go down the the depth chart and you're looking at the bench unit, which doesn't have quite as much NBA talent, um, but also still has those like kind of chemistry issues, although probably a little better because some of the Euro players and the winter core are more familiar with each other. Um, but we're seeing that they're kind of struggling. Um, so I think it's a, it's a balance and hopefully, you know, we can just get Shea, RJ and Kelly out there for as many minutes as possible and just, um, kind of win with the the talent that we have. You go, Matt. No, I just just to add, like, I don't think Jordy, head coach Jordy Fernandez, has has shown a lot right now. I think they have an idea of how they want to uh, play minutes come the the start on the twenty fifth against France. Uh, Jonathan, you know, is, is speaking on it just in terms of starters and. I feel like they'll play a lot more heavy minutes and I don't think we're going to see a lot of the bottom men hit the floor unless they need to with hopefully uh, we can avoid injuries. But uh, if you go seven with the seven NBA guys um, and then you bring in like uh, Melvin and and then uh, Kyle Alexander and Zach, maybe for for your depth. um, I just don't think some other guys are going to see the floor that that much. They're going to, they're seeing it right now in exhibition for a reason, get some chemistry and some continuity and just get, get some, familiarity but um i think if everyone's healthy you know it has the the team has a chance to do something special um definitely uh get out of the group and and get into that new group and i we got to lean shay spoke up and said i want to lead this program he's our guy he's our best player right so um i think i think he gives a lot of confidence to the rest of the guys on the team because like they all know each other. They see each other in the NBA, but they know at that level, like you can't tell me that, you know, RJ and Dylan are looking around and, and Kelly too and saying like, okay, we're in the league. We know what it's like. And this guy's our leader and he's, he's all NBA. Like he just, he made, he made a play today. Like he came in in the second quarter after just be, being out for a few minutes and without spoiling it too much, Jonathan, just off the top, off a roll, easy layup to the rim. And it was, he just kind of looked around like, he looked at Spain like, this is it? This is what you guys got? Like, that's Shea, right? So I feel good about what they're going to do in this tournament. I, I honestly do. No, no, it's funny. He, he he got fouled on an N1 and he just started, he just screamed, make the like effing layup or something. And it was a kind of hard N1. And uh, right. I thought that was funny. But you can see how kind of determined he was. And he, he missed a couple kind of layups or uh, in, in the Spain game that he got fouled on. And he got... <laughs> really pissed at himself which is always kind of cool to see but 
for the for this Canada team, like what kind of style of play do you think will be like be a su- successful one for them? Maybe Jonathan and Scott, like like if this team's to be successful, like how do you see them playing? Is it fast pace? Is it trying to force turnovers? Do you see any differences between the way Canada's playing now compared to under Nick Nurse, under now with uh, Jordy Fernandez? Just talk talk about like the kind of style of play of this Canadian team that you'd like to see in Jakarta. Yeah, I'll I'll um I'll I'll be quick and pass this over to to Jonathan because he's the X's, X's and O's guy. But uh, you know what what I'm seeing is I'm just I'm kind of looking at the opponents too, and and Canada has such an advantage at the guard and, and wing spots over um, Latvia, France. Even we even saw it today with Spain, right? There's there's no Ricky Rubio. Some of their more wily vets are a little bit too too old to really contribute. They're running. Um, a 19-year-old, you know, starting point guard in Nunez and, uh, you know, a backup point guard in Diaz who has no, I don't think he has an offensive bone in his body, right? He's a defensive point guard. Um, so I'd like to see that kind of pressure on 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 these guards. It's the same thing with France, right? There's not really a natural point guard there with, with France. They're running with combo guards and, and shooting guards. I'd really love to see that kind of, I want to see the torture chamber. I want to see Brooks up in, up in people's face. A little disappointed today just to see kind of Brooks just get all, just bushwhacked with touch fouls. Um, I think he had like four of them, like crap, no nothing fouls because he's putting two hands on guys. So he's got to figure things out real, real quick. But I'd love to kind of see that, that pressure up front and and keep pushing, pushing, pushing with, with the wings and the guards we have. But well, I don't know. Jonathan, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, no, I think definitely agree on the the defensive side. Um, I'm just being kind of playing a lot more aggressive and kind of high pressure at the, on the perimeter because I think other than Kyle Alexander, um, you know, the bigs and the rim protection is probably one of the the weaker parts of Canada's defense, and because of like our personnel, we're gonna have to kind of make up for that with perimeter defense and. It's a good thing because, you know, we have Dylan Brooks, Lou Dort, who are fantastic um, point-of-attack defenders, um, and they're kind of both really good screen navigators in their own unique ways because um, Lou Dort is just – he just draws offensive fouls and he just falls down, and then it's an offensive foul at least once a game. And then Dylan, he has this, like, weird little chicken wing technique that he uses <laughs> to kind of bounce off of the screen um, with his off arm. But yeah, so I think defensively, just being as aggressive as possible on the perimeter, um, because you know you're going to need a way to kind of stop uh, teams from getting into the paint. And you know, given the athleticism on the team and the length, it's definitely a possibility. Um, offensively, I think um, Jordy Fernandez is definitely, you know, with the Sacramento Kings, the number one offense in the M- in NBA history last year in terms of offensive rating. I don't know how big of a part he played in it, but as you know, as a lead assistant coach, he probably played you know a substantial part at, at minimum. And yeah, you know, I, I'd say so far, you know, in the exhibition games, you know, you can't show everything, of course. Um, but yeah, I think I've been, I've been, uh, I've, I've been, I've been feeling pretty good about it. I think while I was watching kind of the second Germany game, I was a little iffy because you know just looking at Shea's numbers it was looking like oh he was missing a lot of shots he was going through a lot of traffic um but I I think I've after re-watching a lot of these games I've felt a lot better about Jordi Fernandez and kind of his proactive kind of adjustment making throughout the games 
Um, so like offensively, kind of referencing the tweet that I had um, earlier. Um, so I was talking about how they had the spread pick and roll and how Germany was kind of helping off of Kelly Olenek um, to kind of basically bring a third defender in to stop Shea's dribble penetration. So the next time Canada played Germany, we saw a lot more kind of flat pick and rolls where, you know, you have two people, Shea and the big who's doing the pick and roll at the top. And then you have the three players like below or near the baseline. So they can't bring that extra third defender or even if they do, it's like, there's so much more space for Shea to attack. Um, and so I think I, the way I, I kind of phrased it was like sacrificing the spacing of the off ball players to maximize the spacing for Shea. Mm. Um, and, you know, he had so many other adjustments in that game. Like as much as I don't love it so much for defense, but playing Kelly at the five, you know, that helps also with spacing for Shea. Um, and then defensively, I think I thought compared to Nick Nurse, you know, there's not quite the same amount of, you know, janky zone defenses um, and different looks. Um, but, you know, there's definitely some adjustments that he was making. I think one of them was Kelly was just getting shredded in the pick and roll um, as the, the, the big. And, you know, in the fourth quarter, there were sometimes, you know, they subbed Kelly out and they went five wings, switch everything. Um, kind of like the Raptors, a six, nine vision almost. Um, but then there also, there was a couple possessions where Kelly was in, but instead of guarding the big, he's guarding, um, oh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but it was like a German guard who was like, it was like their movement shooter. And so Kelly was guarding this like six, three, six, four guard. So he's not in the pick and roll. And then Dylan is sliding up and guarding the four so they can just switch the pick and roll. Um, mm. with Schroeder. So I think, I think so far I've, I've been um, pretty impressed and uh, pretty happy with everything that Jordy has been doing. And I know it's kind of a tight schedule and tight turnaround. So, um, you know, it's not going to be the most um, in-depth offensive playbook, but yeah, I think so far I've, I've been, um, I've been pretty happy. And and with that for, for kind of Scott and Matt, like, what are you guys like? I don't want to be the, the pessimist, but what things kind of concern you or, or what are you a bit, maybe a bit worried about with this team? Go ahead, Scott. Um, yeah, I think we've kind of touched on this already. Uh, you know, there's, there's very limited um, rim protection. Um, you, you kind of saw that today in, in, in Spain's game, if, if, if they're kind of getting into the paint and, you know, Dwight Powell's trying to protect the rim, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's usually a, a made layup. But, um, you know, some of the other concerns, like I said, I think, I, you know, sure hope Shea doesn't get in foul trouble. Um, that That's going to be a big problem. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, he, we're still trying to figure out the bench and how those pieces fit together. Um, we saw Zach Eady in there today, and I thought it looked a little chaotic. Some people liked it. You know, Maddie was saying maybe he just stands out so much. You know, things look good when something good happens, but... There, there, there's still some kind of worry um, amongst the, the bench rotation. And um, this hasn't been a problem so far, but we've talked about this before this team was assembled was a three-point shooting. So it's just, these are just not known good three-point shooters when, when you have, you know, Lou Dort and Dylan Brooks and, and uh, um, even RJ Barrett. Barrett has, can be streaky. And when he goes streaky, it seems like he's good for a month and then he's off for a month. So hopefully we've got him on a good month. Um, you know, I think we've shot over 40% from three so far in these exhibitions. Um, Barrett's look great. Dylan Brooks has been making, you know, proper shot selections and, and hitting, hitting his threes. Um, I think at a good rate, 
Lou Dort, maybe not so much. Um, Nikhil's been, been pretty decent, so hopefully that holds up. Um, but those are kind of the things that are kind of swirling in my head. I think number one for me is uh, the three-point shooting. I just feel like we just don't have that guy right now uh, unless RJ's in his hot month. That's going to just knock something down off, you know, a Shea and Kelly screen uh, and Shade and Shade drives and dishes to somebody like who's going to hit that big wing three baseline three. Um, and I had kind of been thinking like, you know, had Corey gone, uh, wouldn't it have been like iconic if, because uh, Corey's become a better three point shooter. If Shea would have dribble drive, kicked it to Corey, Corey hits a winner, Captain Canada. Because even Corey would have been a guy that could contribute that by the way. So the the lack of outside shooting right now concerns me. Um, but we got to get into the tournament and just see where it goes. But hopefully that's not an issue that hurts us in a game. No, I mean, I, I, I agree with what everyone said. I, I I talk about the playmaking a little bit. I think after, like, Shea's a good playmaker, not a great playmaker. I like Nikhil. He's a good playmaker. But they don't really have a guy that can really um, just kind of create a lot of shots, uh, easy shots for other people. Like, Shea does by product of just being such a good offensive player and drawing so much attention. But um, he, And he is a good passer. But that's what I think Murray would have brought to this team. Um, even just Joseph as like a, another ball handler, as we talked about. So I'm a bit worried about that. But if RJ Barrett is playing the way he is, um, I'm not too worried. Um, but yeah, what 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 do you make about RJ Barrett? Because he's been so good in these games so far. Is this something you think is consistent, like that he'll maintain at least some level? He's not going to consistently be 13 of 14 from the field, like against Germany in that that second game. But uh, is this something where he just takes his game up another level when it comes to playing for Canada. Cause he, he played really well in 2021 as well. And yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll take the first crack at this one. Um, yeah, I think RJ, some of his like kind of standout skills kind of work really well with the, the FIBA game from a kind of just an individual perspective. Um, so I think with RJ, he's always been a really kind of broad shoulders, strong player. And especially in the NBA, his kind of main um, source of scoring and creation is to kind of drive and bump people, absorb contact, bump people, and then, you know, throw up the layup with the left hand um, off class. And yeah, so I think that kind of, and we've seen it so far already so many times in the exhibition games where he's you know, gets downhill, he picks up the dribble, bumps once or twice, bumps a defender, um, and then he goes up and, you know, the touch has been there. Um, so I think just from that perspective and with how much more physical FIBA is, I think relying on strength-based creation is the way to go, especially for RJ at least. And I think in terms of like the improved like three-point shooting, um, like obviously nobody knows if it's real yet or not just based on small sample size. But I know there was like a, a thread or like a YouTube video that I watched a couple weeks ago from, I think his name is like Prez on Twitter. He's like a really, um, really smart um, Nick's um, account, and, um, an analyst. But he was basically talking about RJ was kind of tweaking his form a little. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I think maybe we'll put up a graphic and we'll, we'll, we'll show it. But the idea behind that is RJ 
his form has gotten to where like his left shoulder like when he's about to like shoot it's like a lot more flat it's like a lot more 90 degrees and then he brings the ball up like right under his elbow or sorry his eyebrow now or like near his forehead um and that, that's been like um a change that he's been making this summer um and i mean so far it looks good and you know even compared to just last year where he was kind of struggling shooting from three he was kind of bringing the ball up a lot higher before he released it. So it wasn't kind of that 90 degree um, for his, uh, like his elbow angle. And so I think, so I think, yeah. So I think if, if those kind of shot mechanic changes are, are legit, then maybe, yeah, maybe this is RJ's three point shooting and how good he is now. Um, But yeah, so I think the main thing is I think RJ's individual skills kind of fit for FIBA. Other than other than maybe Shea as like, but on just as being an X factor, like what player do you think is kind of the most impactful for Canada if they're going to go deep in this tournament? That isn't maybe a Shea or an RJ. Easy answer for me is Kelly. Um, like I said, I'm I'm just a huge FIBA fan. He does he does what our guards and wings need, right? He's he's a he's a three point shooting threat, so. The, this this FIBA paint is packed and at least he's helping draw somebody somebody out of there with that but he's such a good playmaker um he's you know good dribble drive he, he actually led the team with assists today at six assists him and Powell um, were just going crazy great <laughs> chemistry between um him and and Powell finishing it looked uh Kelly looked like uh like looked like Luca out there so you know he's he's got to bring it and then Defensive plays as well. He had, he had a couple stops, a couple blocks, uh, key rebounds. Um, uh, you know, he's he is hugely important for this for this team to do well. Yeah, I agree with Scott and Kelly is um, a guy that's always played for the program. It matters to him. Um, you know, I think you know we can probably label him Captain Canada for this current team right now. Uh, and he just he just creates so much space and. He's just a heady player. Um, you know, he's gonna be he's gonna be vital for our success in the in the World Cup. He's tough. He's tough too. A lot of people don't don't think about that with him, but mm-hmm. he gets by in the NBA. He's not the most athletic guy. So he and this is why sometimes I think people try to call him cheap because he's in there, he's in there working hard, right? He's 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 pushing and pulling and elbows and he has to. That that's the way he's gonna survive in the NBA. So He's not going to be intimidated. He's not going to be pushed around in FIBA, and it's a, it's a battle um, in the paint FIBA. And I think some players aren't used to it. And I think he's he's fully prepared and and used to it, and and is going to be fine with it. And he's like a legit like seven foot. Like I was there at training camp. Like he was way taller than Dwight Powell, and Dwight Powell's <laughs> our center, right? So um, that's something that he brings. And I noticed it today. Like he got a bunch of like kind of tightly contested rebounds at the end of that game that you know they can play well they have they have four shooters on the floor with Powell right and that kind of they still don't lose too much on the rebounding end so that's kind of something else that he brings to the team so before we wrap up this podcast and thanks again guys for doing this I really really appreciate it um just predictions like where like how far do you think uh this team goes do they get a medal and I just want to go kind of uh, person by person in, in this uh, in this podcast, and, and just give a prediction of where you see them ending up. It can be like, oh, they they make the quarters, but they miss out, but they make the Olympics. Just kind of have fun with it. So, uh, yeah, um, Maddie, you can you can go first if you want. 
tough. I've, I've tried to think about this, just seeing this current team um, by coming off the two overtime wins versus Germany and Spain and not really showing too much on our side. Um, and being the, the supporter of the program and, and loving it for years, I will say this team makes the quarters and we qualify for the Olympics. And I'll just leave it at that for me. For, for me, um, I, I just want to make it clear to people that this is a medal contending team. Um, but we have a ridiculously difficult path to get there. Um, so it is not um, unrealistic for, for Canada to get knocked out in the first round. All it takes is a, is a crazy game against Latvia and a loss to France and, and, and we're done. Um, but that being said, I think this team could do it. Um, wins on Spain's home floor and Germany's home floor are very interesting um, and shows we're right there with the top teams in the world. Um, maybe we have more of an advantage in a neutral neutral setting. Um, I'm so I'm going to say this team makes it all the way to the semifinals, loses to the United States, and then wins the bronze medal. Uh, yeah, I think for me, um, I'm going to be kind of devil's advocate here. Um, not because like I'm not cheering for them or anything like that, but I think I've always just been kind of a more cautious person and. So I, I do think they're going to make it out of the group. Um, and I think it's definitely a real possibility that they make it through the quarterfinals, um, like beating one of France or Spain. Um, but yeah, just given the history, I, I, I can't say, I can't say it with like um, any like conviction that they're going to do it. Um, yeah. And it's not because I don't want it to happen, but it's just, I'd rather be wrong and see them do a deeper playoff run, or so not playoff run, deeper tournament run. Um, so yeah, I think I think there's a good chance they do make it through the quarterfinals, but I wouldn't be surprised if um, they get stopped and it's another heartbreak, unfortunately. Yeah, I think I think I think what we have to realize is like you know again these games are tight, and are they 50-50 versus Spain? Are they is it 50-50 versus France? Does it even if it's let's say I'm off of the high of the wind today and it's 60, 40 in Canada's favor, that's still, you know, lower odds to get, to, to get that far. And you're going to have a similar challenging game in the quarterfinals, probably against, you know, Australia or Germany, maybe Slovenia, but those are the three teams that, that we would probably cross over. So that's just, you know, win after win after win against some of the top teams in the world. Um, the probability and statistics behind that are not overly favorable. Yeah, but yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah, I think, you know, yeah, we do have the tough draw, and I know Dominican Republic is kind of looking really, really strong, and I think that's my biggest fear, um, especially with their draw, and you know, Carl Anthony Towns, and then Gene Montero, Lester Quinones. Like, I'm just really worried about that, but I think, given the talent on the team, um, and everything, I mean, this has to be the year. This has to be the year that we qualify. For the Olympics, um, yeah, I just, I, I just, this has to be the year. I don't really you, know you what else. It out of my, happen. out of my uh, kind of breath, because I was going to ask you guys, like, does at the end of this tournament is Canada 
with that kind of banner, that ticket that says Tokyo, that says, I almost said Tokyo, I said Paris 2024. Is that something that you guys think at, by the end of the tournament that Canada will be finally at the Olympics after 24 years of, of waiting and Steve Nash can hug RJ Barrett, his uh, godson and, and, you know, sing Kumbaya. I'm saying yes. I sure, I sure hope so. Um, you know, the luck of Canada basketball, it's got to be broken at some point. So let's just say this is going to be it. Well, yeah, agreed, agreed. I, I definitely think it will be. I, I Well, I don't want to say definitely because we've gone through everything and I have to be pessimistic at, to some degree as a, a guy that started following this team in 2015 and uh, that was fun. Um, but uh, I, I think if I'm going to give my two cents, I think I think they'll split the two games against Spain and France. I, I think that's probably what's most likely. They're probably, as uh, Scott said, they're probably 50-50 or 60-40, but I just think... I have a feeling they'll split those two games and then making the quarters will then be on a knife's edge. And if it goes their way and points differential, then I think they make the, the Olympics. And if not, then uh, they probably don't, but um, I do think they'll do very well. And I do, I feel very confident now. I know Scott is wary of the Latvians. I feel very confident they make it out of their group and then have a, you know, a, a decent chance against Spain or Brazil or whoever to, kind of push through to, to the quarters. But um, I I just want to see the Dominican and on, on that side of the draw and how that shapes up because on talent, I'm not worried about this team being good enough to kind of qualify if it was in a vacuum. But unfortunately, FIBA is annoying and uh, draws don't make sense and Canada got the, the wrong side. So, um, yeah. Well, thanks so much, guys, for taking the time and doing this. This was awesome. Um, hopefully, we'll leave on uh, more optimism because this team is really exciting. Um, and uh, I'm sure they'll be awesome to watch. And they have a game tomorrow as well. And I'll, I'll do a quick postcast of that uh, tomorrow for the Weekend Ball podcast. But um, thanks so much, guys, for taking the time and doing this and, and getting everyone, the, the dream team, as I said, all in, in one place and on one podcast so thanks so much for for listening and, and thanks so much for coming on guys thanks alex yeah thanks, thanks for having us man appreciate it